All right, as you're making it back to your seats, why don't you grab your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 3. Uh, if, if you don't know, we've got these little journals in the back. There's only 10 left out of the, I think, uh, near a couple hundred that we bought. Uh, only 10 left. What the, what's in those journals is the whole book of Acts in the English Standard Version with a journal column entry on the side. How many of you have been using yours every week? So, yeah, so a bunch of people... There's actually a free one back there because someone in this room bought two and left one there for somebody to take, so uh, we're glad that you're using those. I think they're a great resource. Um, if you're a guest with us, uh, we just, just want to say thank you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get to, to preach some, get to do a lot of stuff around the church, and it's, it, I love my church. All kinds of awesome stuff is happening. Last week, we let you know that we paid off our mortgage. We are debt-free as a church, so that's super awesome. We thought when we shared that, and maybe it's just because you, you are really uh, proper and uh, you know maybe don't want to get too out of order, but we thought people would like run around the church yelling last week, uh, but maybe we just didn't give you that chance, uh, so we're going to give that now. I'm kidding. Uh, if the Lord leads you to stand up and run around saying, praise the Lord, you go ahead and do it, uh, and we'll, we'll praise Him with you. Uh, but if you're a guest with us, we do want to really connect with you and know that you're here. We're actually trying to start a study of demographics about uh, the type of people that churches reach and the type of people that Celebration Church reaches. All we would do with your connection card, if you'll fill it out, is we'll just shoot you an email or a text or a phone call just to see how your experience was. You can either put it in the bucket at the end of the service as you already have heard, or you can take it out to our resource center and we have a gift just to say thank you for being here. Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 3, as I've already said. Um, let me ask a question and start out this way. If you could face any problem, any uh, issue in your life, if you could face any overwhelming circumstances and know that you can eventually overcome, how much different would you face them than what you are today? If you had the confidence that you knew at the end of the day, at the end of everything said, that you would be victorious, would it change the way that you live your life? Because this is what we see in the first century church. They overcame, everybody say everything. They even overcame death because when they put their faith and trust in Christ, death did not have the last say. They overcome beatings, they overcome hardships, they overcome persecution, they overcome disease, they overcome uh, all kinds of things. At the end of the day, healing comes for every Christian. At the end of the day, a victory comes for every Christian. Now what God's story for is, is for you today is to walk in that victory uh, in spite of your circumstances. But see, we have a culture. Today, my sermon title is Culture Shock. When the church launched in the book of Acts and we see her come on the scene, we see her thrive like nothing that we've ever, anybody in this room has ever seen in their lifetime. See, we hear like Sebet and Susie come up on the stage and we hear about miracles and things and God moving in Africa and we think, wow, let's go to Africa. And God is saying, hey, I'm here too. See, we get to this place where we put God in different parts of the world except for our own. If He's not in your world, then he, He's no longer God. And guess what? He is. 
See, we live in a culture in the U.S. where we believe ourselves more than we believe our Creator. We want to save ourselves from our situations more than the Savior who, who died on the cross for our situations. In our culture, we face all kinds of issues. We have abortion, sexual identity, slavery, social media, divorce, biblical uh, illiteracy, racism, hostile political climates, apathy, boredom, materialism, idolatry, drunkenness, poverty, and many other things. You're saying, well, Brian, you didn't say that one thing. Put it on the list. It seems like our culture is this huge, overwhelming, overpowering thing. And it looks like, and it seems like, and it's, it's the enemy. He's lied to us. It seems like the church sits back behind culture. And we sort of hope we pick off people in culture one at a time. Where we see that the, the church stormed culture and overwhelmed culture and changed culture. And it always takes men and women rising up and believing that the God of Scripture is still alive and He uses ordinary people like you and I. See, we have to combat this losing battle. We have to come up against it and believe God. See, because when we look at culture, we see what might seem to be a formidable force. If you look at scriptures, we can see God advancing and using the people of God to advance against culture and take over culture. Now that might sound hostile, but we're taking over culture with uh, overwhelming love and freedom from darkness, freedom from sin, freedom from chains. So yes, we take it over and it's aggressive and we should be aggressive, but we see in scripture that this is an aggressive love so people can have a relationship with their Creator through Jesus Christ and figure out their purpose while they're here. We got one shot at this celebration. One. So how can we do this? How can we turn, if you're taking notes, write down this question. How can we turn culture toward God? I'm a big superhero fan. Went and saw Captain Marvel this week. How many of you have already seen it? Okay, welcome, nerds. People wonder, why do these superhero movies do so well? Because a superhero movie is an attempt at painting a picture of a Savior who is fallible, who is flawed. And that's what we desire. We desire a Savior, somebody who can come in and rescue us. But it seems like as a church, we've gotten quiet as a, the church culture. We've gotten quiet to say, hey, we have a Savior who is perfect. He has no flaw. He has no limits. Jesus Christ doesn't have a kryptonite. He doesn't have anything that, that's going to come up against him because he was even killed. And he overcame that. You might be saying, well, Superman did that too. There's in comic back in, you know. Uh, yeah, guess what? Everybody's always trying to model the superhero after the true savior of the world. I love Acts chapter 3 because we're getting to see, ready to see the first miracle uh, done after the church is launched. The first healing I don't necessarily think it's the first miracle. I'll correct myself because the uh, 3,000 that were saved in the moment 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's how we ended Acts chapter 2. The Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. But here in 3, we get to see, now the church is getting ready to walk out their everyday life. And this is probably when it becomes, I think, very practical for us as the people of God. Because we see them waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes. They start spreading the gospel. But then they have to go back to their everyday life. And we see that they never turn off this switch where they shut the gospel off when it's time to go to work or time to go to school or when we're around our in-laws or when we're around our friends on Friday night. They don't flip the switch of the gospel off so nobody sees that. They continue just to, to press in. In fact... Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, One day, no particular day, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So we see these two ragtag boys, Peter and John, fishermen, uh, that have just, they saw the, uh, the Christ, Jesus Christ, crucified. They saw Him buried. They mourned His death thought it was over, they ran for their life, and then they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw Him, they ate with Him, they touched Him, they talked with Him, and then they saw right before their very eyes, Jesus give marching orders. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then they went up, and then they saw the, the angels standing there and said, why are y'all standing here? Go do what He said. So they went and they waited for the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit broke forth. Peter preaches his first message, which is very contradictory to the way he lived his life just months before. He told people not to deny Christ. He told people not to run from Christ. And guess what, Peter? You did it. You did those very things. And it says, at the time of prayer, they were going into the temple. Which, by the way, we can see Peter and John, they actually scheduled their time with the Lord. They didn't just throw it in at the end of the day or if they had time at the beginning of the day. It was part of their schedule. It was, it, in fact, it, was, it trumped their calendar. If any, nothing came over their time with the Lord. They had the spiritual discipline. Verse 2, it said, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put, listen to this, every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So imagine this scene, a crippled man put at the gate, left there, and walked away. People walked away, and he had to sit there, and he begged. What do you think he was asking for? Money. What else might he have been asking for? Food. Money and food. You've seen this. If you've ever left our country, you see this at a, at a, a, a greater rate. More people begging, more people asking for things, and they're in at the stoplight. At street corners, they're at places where there's traffic. Well, what better place than a gate? A gate implies walls. And a gate people have to walk through this particular gate that's called beautiful. And I think it is quite proper because something beautiful is getting ready to happen. When Peter saw, uh, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for money. I want you next time you pull up to the interstate off the exit and you see the person standing there with a the sign, I want you to notice how you will not look them in the eye. You will avoid their gaze. We often will avoid these people and it puts us in an awkward situation, especially this man, he's crippled. What are you really going to be able to do for him? 
Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said to him, look at us. So now this awkward moment, you ever had this moment where you lock eyes with somebody you don't know and then you both look away like that was weird? Not only did Peter and John look at this man, but they said, hey, look up here. Look at us. And I bet this man was going, all right, I'm going to get paid here. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. This man's life is getting ready to get changed. So I want us to think about this for just a second. So write this down. How can I turn culture towards God? Well, first thing is we have to engage culture directly. Celebration Church, we will not be a passive church. The gospel will be out front. Jesus will be out front. When we serve our community, it will be for Jesus, not so we can just serve. We are not social justice warriors. We're not going to do social justice. We're going to serve the community in a way that can help them for the gospel and Jesus will be out front. Well, why is that? Well, Sibet and Susie, they have a medical clinic, but guess what's out front? Jesus. Because I want you to think about this for just a second. You can provide all the medical uh, uh, care to people and all the the, uh, resources to them, the humanitarian aid, and people still go to hell you don't give them Jesus. All we're doing is extending their trip. And what we want people to do is to receive medical care, receive healing, receive the humanitarian aid that we have, and we give them Jesus as the driving force behind it. That's who Celebration Church is. I hope that's who you are because you represent Celebration Church. See, we don't change culture by... uh, We don't change culture by changing culture. We change culture by changing people. By God coming into their life. By Jesus Christ changing their hearts. You've seen it. You've seen your friends and family who maybe have a drug addiction or they have a struggle in their life. And they wake up and they just decide to try harder to do better. And it looks like they have victory for a while. But then you see the cycle come right back and the thing that is missing the one that gives them the victory and that's Jesus. Jesus stays the course for us. He's the one who keeps us focused and keeps walking forward. And there's a lot of great programs and a lot of great things out there. But they fall short without Christ. See, if we're not willing to engage a person directly, we need not complain about our culture. Just think about it. At your workplace, at school, the news, everything complains about the culture depending on which side you're on. But yet we don't engage the people of the culture to let them meet Christ. We look for the government to do it or for a church to do it. We need to as celebration. I've heard this for years at celebration in the church I was at before. We need to engage the culture more and get out in the community more. And I say, are you in the community? Because when you say we, everybody say me. When you say we, you better be talking about me, talking about you. Because you are Celebration Church and it's not, we're not going to sit back and say, okay, if we can get 98% of us on this one project, then we'll do it. No. You'll hear next week about a couple in our church who are at the Wilkes Pregnancy Care Center almost every single week and they completely been a, a huge part of that renovation and we didn't even know about it as pastors till about three weeks ago 
They should have told you. Why? They told Je- Jesus told them and they went and did it. Well, Peter and John are at this gate. And they engaged this man and said, look at us. They didn't just pass him, uh, pass by him because he was there. Every day he was there. I don't know how surely this ha- happened after Acts 1.8, but something happened with Peter and John that was different this day. The Holy Spirit was on them. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Timothy 1.7. Listen to this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of a spirit of, everybody say power. A spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. See, we should have a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline to walk right in the face of culture. Now, you might not know this about me, but I've shared this on stage. A, A lot of my personality is very introverted. I have an extroverted type of personality where I don't mind being around people, but I can crawl in a hole in a mountain and not talk to people for months. One of the greatest things that I love when I used to go hiking by myself is I used to like walk as far as I could till I didn't hear a human. That was the goal. And then all of a sudden I'd hear somebody walk by and be like, oh, I've got to go deeper. I didn't, you know, go to Alaska and burn my money and die in a bus. I, I didn't do that. If anybody's seen that movie. But I know I also have been saved to, to engage the culture in a way that supersedes my personality. I know your circumstances in this room sometimes we're, we're afraid. But perfect love casts out fear. Sometimes we, people don't necessarily like us. But Jesus said, blessed are those who are hated and persecuted for my name's sake. I mean, I don't know who else God is going to use. He said He's going to use the church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. And are we the church, yes or no? Yes, okay. So I think we're in on this journey. He didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Verse 6 in Acts chapter 3, the story goes on. We're going to go, by the way, all the way through the third chapter of Acts. Just buckle up. Then Peter said, God said, got any money? Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. How many of you that's the case right now in your wallet? <laughs> ain't nothing in it. So. But what I have. What's the next word? Everybody read them with me. I give you. What I have, I give you. Now, I love the way that that lays the playing field equal for everybody in this room. Because I know the person to your left or to the right, they probably have more than you or somebody in your row. You're like, they got more than us. Of course they get to do that. Peter and John said, I ain't got nothing but what I have, I give. I don't have any silver or gold. That's what you ask for, man. I don't have. When I read this passage, I share this story. I got in an argument with the youth leader just a couple years into ministry. And... uh, Because Jesus, out of the mouth of Jesus, Jesus says, give to anyone who asks. And if a brother asks for your coat, give him your tunic too. And he he knew and he loved Jesus and he wants to obey Christ because of his love. But that that just, he struggled with Jesus saying that. He says, I'm not going to give money to a a guy on the street that I smell alcohol in his breath. And I know he's not going to buy food or get shelter. He's just going to go buy a fifth of liquor. I'm not going to do that. I said, Jesus didn't say that. He said, well, Jesus said, give to anyone 
who asked? I said, yes, he did. He said, I'm getting confused. What are you talking about? So did Jesus say it or not? Well, he didn't say give the guy money. He said give to anyone who asks. And we see this obedience right here. So I took him straight to this passage. I said, Peter and John were walking through the gate called Beautiful, and a man crippled by birth was there. And he saw Peter and John coming through, and he looked, and he, he, he thought, I'm going to ask them for something. And, he, and he, Peter and John looked at him and said, Money, silver, or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give to you. And I want you to look what he gave. What I have I give you. Here's a cold glass of water. What I have I give you. We got a place for you to sleep. What I have I give you. McDonald's is right around the corner. He gives what we strikes fear in our lives as the, the, the church often in our culture because he comes right out the gate and makes it awkward. You don't talk about politics or huh? Religion. At the public, at st they're still at the gate. Everybody's walking through and they're seeing them engage and you know people staring because people nosy. Don't act like you don't watch your neighbors. You know what's going on? My, my son, he stared out the window. He already knows. Watch the neighbors. <laughs> now, Jerry and Edna over here, they, we, we live on the same side of the street, and we be watching the same neighbors all the time. <laughs> he said, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, Walk. What? That's how he comes out the gate? You know people walking through the gate when they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Everybody stops and they're like, whoa, what's going on? All right, let's watch this. What's going on? They're about to be made a fool here. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and his ankles became strong. Guys, this is not a fairy tale. This is not something from the first century church that died in the 21st century. Well, it, did, it has died. But it's not God that died. It's our faith and it's our belief and it's our trust in Him. It's us putting Him on the back burner. I'll bring up Jesus after a long work in. I, I was getting so convicted about just my own personal impact in the community. And I feel I try to get in the community that... Uh, Back two years ago uh, at Love Week, a group of guys were mocking me while I was in the dunking booth that I didn't know exactly who they were. I just knew they were huge. And I've shared the story a, a little bit. But it ended up, I uh, got me working out in a gym. And I just felt really convicted before I even went that I need to come out the gate being really clear about my intentions. Now, I'm not a perfect man, but I just know often I try to do this passive workaround to try to get people to know that God loves them perfectly, that He has a plan, and that He is their healing for any area that they have. And we have so many of our friends and neighbors and family that they are not walking. They can't walk. They're crippled in a certain area, maybe even physically. And we give them something other than Jesus, and we work up to Jesus. I mean, that would be like me 
Before I married my wife, I, I would say, hey, I, I'm going to be in a few other relationships and work up to you. It would have never happened. But yet, luckily, God in His grace, He continues to be patient with us. As He sits on the back burner waiting for the day where we, the perfect opportunity opens up for us to share the gospel with people and we don't engage them directly. Well, how can I turn culture towards God? Well, I engage people directly. And then number two, I use what I have now. It's the number one excuse that I hear. Well, like we would, but we can't until this. Go ahead. Watch you at school or at work the reason why you can't do something for God. It's an excuse. This man, why was he at the gate? Because he couldn't walk, so he couldn't work. He had an excuse, but guess what? The gospel eliminated his excuse. Because no matter what you're going through in this story, that does not mean everybody will receive healing from everything in your life right now in this life. But the gospel removes your excuse for not moving forward and not using what you have now. I love to see, this is why I'm working with new Christians. It's super awesome because you don't have to tell them that uh, once they turn 40, they stop raising their hands during worship. Or uh, once they get married as a, a male, uh, is it okay if I take a, a few shots? I'm going to anyways. As a, as a male, they just quit carrying their Bible and taking notes because their wife's sitting there doing it. Like you really read your wife's notes. Well, I can't read my own writing. Well, you don't even read hers. I mean, we're so full of excuses why we're crippled, but guess what? God is gracious to us and He's saying, now, use what you have right now. So what if that right now this was the end of the sermon and we walked out the door? Could we change the world? Absolutely. We don't need anything else. Celebration Church has everything that she needs to do everything that God has called us to do. And you have everything that you need right now in your life, as jacked up as it may be, to do exactly what God is calling you to do right now in this moment. The guy needed money. He was broke. He couldn't work. What did they give him? They gave him what they had. They had Jesus. Now sometimes we think, well, all I've got is Jesus. We sell it that way. Like, I don't have any gold, but all i got is Jesus. No, all you have is Jesus. You don't have anything outside of Jesus. It is the greatest thing that you have if you know Christ. See, we've got to use what we have now. Today is the day. Now is the time. What you have is enough. God is alive. Amen. Today is the day. Now is the time. What you have is enough and God is alive. See, you've got to use what you have now and trust God to give you what you need later. Exactly. <laughs> See, as Celebration Church, and I hope you, as if this is your home, we don't stockpile anything except for the Holy Spirit power. We don't stockpile money. We don't stockpile resources. We use them. We use them for the kingdom of God. Now, we do save, and we are good stewards, and you see a result of that is got people step up and got people being obedient. At we as the church, and we get to be debt-free because of that. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need. For life and godliness, through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. We got everything. 
Everybody just take a deep breath in. Let it out. You should have that assurance that you have everything that you need. Now, some of us, because of what we do in, the sec- in secret or the life that we live outside of here, some of the stuff that God has given us, we've wasted it away. Well, let me tell you what you can do. In this moment right now, you can repent and turn back and your relationship with God can be restored and you get right back on the path and you have everything that you need. You say, well, if I wouldn't have done this and I've already screwed it up with my wife or my parents that are like this or my grades are in the tank, guess what? God is a God of miracles and He turns everything around. It might be a hard road, but guess what? It'll be a road that you can be empowered through. And then guess who gets the glory at the end? God does. If you're living a life in which you get the glory, it's a small life. We want to step in faith and walk and engage the culture towards God by engaging the culture directly, using what I have. And if we look at verse 8, it says, He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them. If you got your Bible, underline that. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, how awkward is this? Okay, a man who couldn't walk, all of a sudden is he not walking, but you bring him with him and then he's that crazy friend. You ever made a friend you wonder why they didn't have a lot of friends and then you find out why? You're like, oh, okay, this guy's a little EGR. You know, extra grace required. So we, we get in that place where we, we, we struggle with people who maybe will make a public spectacle, but this guy just... He'd been crippled. Some people's marriages are in the tank. I hope they're a little bit excited when God heals it. Some people are so addicted to drugs and God delivers them from it. It's okay to be a little crazy for Jesus. Paul even says, if I'm crazy, it's for Jesus. If I'm sane, it's so that you can handle me. And I think that's the the line the, the church should walk. You can probably, Toby, do, does the guys at the gym think I'm a little crazy? Probably, yeah. And, and since he graciously nodded his head, they probably think I'm real cuckoo. And I'll, I'll just say this, a lot of them, Toby sits alone almost every week now because just attacking most of those guys' life, lives, but I, I'm still on them. I walk in that gym and I go, oh, I just need to back off these guys a little bit. And God said, I... I pursued you in such a way that you just caved and you haven't got over it they don't need to get over me (laughs) celebration church we don't need to get over him we got to bring people where we are and i hope i hope everywhere that you are can be somewhere people can be unless it's the bathroom i understand Can you bring people along with the your the gospel in your life to your work to your school to your home Or is there parts of your life? Now, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. People need to see your flaws. If you're a married couple in here that don't argue at all, something's wrong. Y'all aren't being real. But that doesn't mean it has to be nasty fighting all the time. But guess what? The struggles that we go through, people need to see us go through them and get through them. And that happens through the gospel. See, we've got to bring people where we are. They brought him into the temple courts. He was walking and jumping and praising God. Now, I don't know how it is back then, 
but how many of you grew up in church? Would this be allowed in church? Jumping and praising God. Jumping and running around like crazy. You don't run where? In church. Quit jumping around. Get down. Stop that. You know. I think he might have been a little bit out of order here. First century church in a Jewish temple. I don't think they had drums or guitars or speakers. And this guy's in the temple courts. I guarantee everybody sees him. So they start asking questions. But you need to realize we, try, we work hard to create an environment here at Celebration Church where you can grow no matter where you are. We want this to be an environment where if you are deep in your walk with the Lord that you can thrive and you can grow. We want you also to build in your lives where uh, people can grow in the Lord because they're around you. See, there should be a case for every aspect of our lives that we should be willing to bring people in. We engage in the lives that we live. But to be honest, I'm not sure that this is even a problem. I'm not sure it's a problem the people that we bring into our lives or into our church, into our environment, into the culture that in which we're trying to create. I'm not sure it's a problem the people we bring in. I think we just don't bring in people. I, I, I think we're just really uncomfortable. I mean, just think we have... We have Lowe's here, we have all these huge corporations and buildings that are represented here, and most of those people don't care anything about the, the God we serve, yet He still died for them and still has a purpose for them, and He can gladly deliver them out of anything that they need and empower them to be who God has called them to be. They don't have to settle for the cheap junk that culture gives them. And it's cheap. Think about any sin you've ever committed. Why did you do it? It's because it felt good, but then it ended in some type of death. A relationship died, a job died, some brain cells died. Something died when you sinned. We offer something that brings resurrection to things that die. His name is Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people. Some of you need to understand that. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? Why? Why are we that? That you may declare His praises to Him who has called you out of what? Darkness into His wonderful light. We need to bring people out of the darkness into the light in which we're trying to live just so that they can finally see. The reason that they don't want Jesus is they've never seen Him. The reason they don't want Jesus is because we do have a switch in our life and we cut the light off so we don't make them uncomfortable. The light, when it's on to people who've been in darkness, is uncomfortable. But then when they can see, they're like, oh wow, there's color. There's people, there's shapes, there's things. They don't stump their toe. They're like, I can actually see where I'm walking. Well, spiritually, how much greater is it that what God has for us? 
Let's keep reading. Are we good? We good? Acts 3 verse 9, it says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Well, how can we turn culture to God? Well, we, we engage people directly. We use what we have now. We bring people where we are and where we're going. But we also, we do it publicly. Well, right now, I thought the Bible said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. That is not the context of that verse and quit saying it. See, God saves each person personally. It's a personal. And there's not a person in here that is saved because your grandma was. You have a relationship with God. When the Holy Spirit draws you to Him, you repent of your sin and you proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and put your faith and trust in Him. That's it. Everybody in this room has to do that by yourself. A preacher can't make you do it. A baptism doesn't do it. Walking an aisle, filling out a car doesn't do it. God saves you. And you must have an encounter with Him for that to happen. But... At that point, that's the personal part of your salvation, but everything else is public. See, God saves you personally, but He doesn't want your relationship to be private. And you hear people say that all the time, my relationship with God is a private thing. No, it's not. He died naked on a cross publicly. You think you saying that you love Jesus and you follow Him is something you need to keep to yourself? You're evil if you do that. I'll repeat that. You're evil if you keep your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, private. Oh, Ron, that's strong. Why are you saying that? Because you are the light in the darkness. You are the hope for the people around you. Why do you think you sit in that cubicle or in that desk or go to work at that place? Because God put you there to be a light so people can see the hope that is in Christ. Matthew 5, it says, Jesus, out of his, don't take it, my word for it, here's Jesus. You are the light of the world. Everybody say, I am the light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Think about a candle under a bowl. This is just, I mean, this, I'm sarcastic sometimes when I hear Jesus teaching and I feel like he is sort of thing, saying things like, hey, dummies. I know you don't say that in your home, but... It, Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. Nobody puts it under a bowl. That would be dumb. They put it on a stand to give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before who? Men. And then you say, well, then they'll see my flaws. Wait, no, keep reading, please. That they may see your good deeds and praise you for it. Now, what, what does it say? They may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Don't you worry. God won't let you get caught up in His glory. He's not going to let you have it. He's going to let you bask in His glory, and He's going to get it all if you'll just trust Him. You are a light. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds be seen before men because of Jesus, not humanitarian aid. That's not what this is. Leonard Ravenhill says this. He says, don't go until you glow. And I'm like, that's good. That don't sound like Leonard Ravenhill way back then. That sounds like a rapper of today. Don't go until you glow. 
You should wait until you're ready to shine it for everyone to see. But guess when that should be? Today. That's how long you should wait. In fact, you should wait till about now. Now's long enough. Now I want to finish reading this passage. Now we're going to read the rest of the passage. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, we're in verse 12, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why does it surprise us when God does exactly what he says he's going to do? Sabet and Susie were sharing about the miracles and the healings and the demons being cast out, but if that were to happen in here, we would be shocked. Now, I hope it's only for a second, and then we have a great expectation. It's like, that's my Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I've been waiting for this day to see those types of things. Now, by the way, we don't seek miracles. We seek the Savior. We don't seek gifts. We seek the gift giver. But whatever gifts he's got, we want, to, we want God to lavish them upon us. Too often, what should be normal in the church becomes abnormal. What salvations, deliverance from drugs, demons being cast out, or depression, victory over sin, mended marriages, prodigal sons and daughters, mothers and fathers coming back to God, healings, all these seem abnormal, and this is exactly what God has called us to. Everybody say power. We are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who lives inside of us as fleshly beings and says, I will give you power to be my witnesses. And we are to be, be, be called to do whatever He calls us to do. He's going to empower us to do it. Peter says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It is, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's really tough. When you get to be a part of leading somebody to Christ or somebody... Uh, you, you were in the group that prayed for the person who was healed of a brain tumor. Or you got to see uh, in one night 27 people come to Christ from 1 a.m. till the sun rose. That stuff will mess with your flesh because you, you start thinking, maybe it's something about me. Well, yeah, God, it is because God made you for His glory. It is something about you. You are unique and special and you are unique and highly favored by God. But Peter said, why do you stare at us like we did this? And then he does something that every one of us should do. They did this publicly. They, they engaged the culture directly. They, they used what they had right then. And then watch. It says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. You handed him over. If you got your Bible, underline that. So Peter comes out the gate and he starts accusing. This is his second sermon and he's pretty fired up. Go back and read his first sermon in chapter 2. He's going to sermon again. And I want you to hear the man who denied Christ three times, the man who cut off a man's ear because he has anger issues in spite of Jesus going to the cross and saying, this is my time, Peter still cuts out, pulls out a sword and cuts a man's ear off, and I can see Jesus when he put it back on. He's like, come on, Peter. Puts the guy's ear back on and it was healed. This is the same Peter who rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. 
Listen to what he's saying. He says, you handed him over to be killed. Underline this. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he decided to let him go. He says it again. You disowned the holy and righteous one. That you murder, uh, and asked that a murderer be released to him. And then underline this. You killed the author of life. I don't think this is a good way to start out a sermon. From what I've understood and been taught on how to write a sermon and, and engage an audience. Murderers! Now listen to me, you bunch of murderers. I mean, that's even uncomfortable for me to even say that. You killed the author of life, but God. One of the coolest phrases in the Bible. But God raised him from the dead. And he said, we're witnesses of this. I can see Peter saying, you disowned him, you killed him, but God. But God raised him from the dead. What's up? Say something. (laughs) Go ahead. Try to kill him. He's God. He's the Savior of the world. He died for your sins. Spit in his face. Pull out his beard. Drive nails through his hands and feet. Beat him till he doesn't even look like a human. But God. Some of you need a but God. But God raised him from the dead. By faith, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. In Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him. That is given this complete healing to him. As you can all see. Come on, Peter. Just just slip in a little bit for yourself here. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. (laughs) You murdering ignorant people. (laughs) Come on, Peter. This is not PC at all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Oh, call out the leaders too. But, But this is how God fulfilled what He foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. I think he's going to let up just a little bit. Verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And then, this is where the release comes. He says, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Some of you in this room, that's what you need. You need that refreshing to come over your life. Well, that only comes through repentance. Verse 20, and that he may send Christ who is appointed For you, even Jesus, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. As He promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything He tells you. Verse 23. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off among His people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made. Let me reread that. And you, everybody say, I am. You are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. God promised He would never leave us or forsake us. He promised He would save us from all of our sins. He promised He would wipe every tear from our eyes and there would be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That is what He's promised to us. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed when God raised up His servant and sent Him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. If you know Jesus... 
It's because God in His grace turned you from your wicked ways. Whether culture accepts them or not, culture is not a force to be reckoned with. The church is. When will we as the church quit standing idly by and allow culture to be the super giant and the voice? Everybody has a platform and everybody's knocking Jesus off the throne. I want to get him back on the throne in our community. That way when Jesus comes back, he doesn't have to take the throne. It's already been given. And that starts by us engaging one by one, person to person, the culture. And you have to do it and I have to do it. So how can I turn the culture towards God? Well, lastly, is the, the thing that wraps it all up is they explain Jesus clearly. If you don't know how to deliver the gospel and you need to l- learn how to uh, explain the gospel, take life-on-life discipleship. Get, get tied into that. We have 20 people involved in that now. One person this week will probably graduate. The first person will graduate from that. And they're already discipling like three or four people. We want, and they're sharing their faith. They're, <laughs> they did a spiritual gift test. Now, I don't believe this exactly, but they scored 100% on evangelism. I don't know if you can score 100% on anything, but they did. I got nothing for you but Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't encourage you with anything else but Jesus. But I don't want to encourage you with anything else but Jesus because He's more than you can handle. He makes things awkward to those in the dark. And He makes things awkward of the parts of your life that are still in the dark. But when you explain Him clearly, you, you truly understand why you must give all that you are to Him because He's worthy. So, so our next step today is just real simple. It's a question. If everybody can write this down somewhere, if you write it on your hand, you write it, have somebody write it on your forehead right now, I don't care. Write this question, will you turn culture or will culture turn you? There's no neutral ground. And I want you to do what I've been asking God to do is to re-break my heart for this community. Not that it's not broken, but to a place that just, just the, the, those little idle moments of your life just crush you into thinking, Lord, I, I don't want to have these moments where I have these pockets of my life that I have not given to you. I want to impact this culture and you are the, you're greater than any natural disaster. You're greater than any cultural revolution that rises up you are Jesus death cannot overtake you and I want to be that voice of hope to a hopeless generation what else we gonna do we paid off our mortgage you know what I'm glad we didn't cheer as big as we did because that's not the greatest work that we have even though that's amazing The greatest work that we have is the second we say, hey, we'll see you next week. We've got to believe that the Holy Spirit who empowered these men and women in the first century church, that He is still the same Holy Spirit that empowers me in the 21st century. 
I mean, what is it? This is 2,000 years later. 20 centuries later from this moment, will we be the church that ignites it back up or are we going to continue to, to, to just smoke and smolder and burn out? I don't even know what that looks like in your daily life. But whatever we can as a staff and as a church get behind you and throw fuel on that, we will. Get in a life group. Learn to give generously. Learn to share the gospel and risk everything that you have for it. Would you stand up with me? If you know somebody there in your row, I want you just to grab their hand. If you're friends, if this isn't a chance for... If you're single in the room and you sort of came on a first date this morning, this, this isn't an opportunity here. Put an arm around somebody, just grab somebody, grab their hand. And would you pray this with me? Would you disagree with me? God, give us your fire, your Holy Spirit fire. That the abnormal in the U.S. becomes the normal. We don't seek the gifts, but we seek the giver. We don't seek miracles, we seek the miracle maker. And we want to see our workplaces, our homes, our marriages, our schools. Lord, if we're honest, we want to see our church come alive for Jesus. God, we don't have much, but what we do have, we give. Lord, may the next words out of our mouth and may the next step of our life be up front. That is Jesus that comes first. Yes, some of us, we have wealth. Some of us have charisma and talent. Some of us have influence. But that, that all doesn't matter if Jesus is at the forefront and the purpose behind that. So God, help us to do that and help us to do that today. God, we lift up Sabet and Susie to you. Lord, we, we believe that you are going to continue to use them to change the African culture, to change the, the part of the world that is so volatile towards the gospel that witch doctors are normal. Lord, Satan has so blinded us here in the U.S. that if people would come out and be witch doctors, we might all repent. But he's bombarded us with media and internet, our couches, our beds, our air conditioning, our waiters and waitresses that are getting ready to wait on us. He's just numbed us to just coasting and being okay with this. But deep down inside, Lord, we're just dying. Would you bring resurrection right now in our hearts, in this room, and we'll trust you with it. In Jesus' name.